Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us live in downtown Charlottesville. And I'm super pumped for today's show because Donna Price is in studio. She's on set. She's behind the camera and the microphone, an interviewer's dream. I kind of teased this at the beginning of the program that when you interview Donna Price, you just sit back relax, enjoy, and, and, and just have a good time on the ride. She can pontificate on just about any topic under the sun, speaks professionally for a living as an attorney and as a former politician, and this is going to be just a fantastic next 45 minutes to an hour of uh, Albemarle County reminiscing, looking forward, looking backward, considering all options. Judah Wickhauer, our director and producer, my friend, let's get right to it and giddy up. Let's go to the studio camera and welcome someone that needs no introduction at all donna price on set my friend i'm following your lead right now where do you want to begin hey jerry and judah thank you so much for the invitation let me apologize up front i had a cold last week have a little bit of a raspy voice but let's start off with something really important okay i hope that you and your listeners have read the book and if not that you go see the movie the boys in the boat okay now why am i bringing that up the boys in the boat is a story spoiler alert about the 1936 U.S. Olympic team, and it came from Washington University, and it was the JV team. And what it's about is not sports. It's about integrity, teamwork, commitment, dedication, and that's what Albemarle County government brings to our community. One person cannot make it, but one person can break it. It takes a team. So, Jerry, I really appreciate your very kind introduction. But what has been accomplished over the last four years in Albemarle County is the result of four components working together, usually in harmony, not always in full agreement, to make Albemarle County better. Those four components are first, our community. We are incredibly blessed with the people who live in Albemarle County. And I cannot tell you how many times I would get emails from people and it would start off so nice, you know, Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate your public service. I could never do it. And then politely, they'd tell me while they thought I was, you know, dumber than dirt, but in a very polite way. But we had a communication. We listened. We paid attention to what people had to say. And that's what makes our community great, because everyone here really is focused on one thing. What can we do to make Albemarle County better? We may disagree on how we get there, but in the end, Everyone in our community, that's what they want, and we try to support them. The second group, and these are the worker bees, this is county staff, every department, from police, fire, rescue, community development, social services, facilities, um, IT, human resources, all of them working together, whether they are forward-facing to the community or internal, protecting the county. Take our IT department, for example. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of thousands of attacks are attempted every day against our infrastructure. And our IT team has protected us, so we haven't been in that situation a lot of organizations are where they're locked down and they're being faced with you know, some sort of a, 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 um, a, a capitalization to get their data back. So everyone's working together. The next group I want to talk about is our county leadership. That starts with the county executive, Jeff Richardson, our two deputy county executives, our county attorney, the clerks, those are the leaders. They're the ones who actually get it done. And the fourth, and actually probably the least important, 
but the group that gets the most attention are the members of the Board of Supervisors. Jerry, we have one job, to vote. We vote, we make a decision, and if you don't have four supervisors in agreement, nothing is gonna be set. But once the board sets policy with that vote, that policy instantaneously gets transferred over to our county executive, Mr. Richardson, to then execute it. Now, Mr. Richardson is one of the shyest people from public attention you'll ever meet. But let me tell, let's talk a little bit, first off about our form of government, then Jeff, and the leadership that he brings to our team. So it's important for people to realize that Albemarle County operates under the county executive form of government. There are only two counties in Virginia out of the 95 that have that type of government. There are seven different types of county government. Under the county executive form of government, the Board of Supervisors is effectively the Board of Directors. The county executive is our president and CEO. The county attorney is the corporate general counsel. They're the ones who get things done. The Board of Supervisors votes, makes a decision, it's implemented by the county executive. But the county executive, he's our president and CEO. He's the guy with his team are looking out there for things that need to be done to improve things. So they, they're the ones who prepare the budget. They're the ones who identify what needs to be done. So we have our strategic plan with our six components of that. And everything we do is focused around that strategic plan. So we have a great board of supervisors, but let's be honest, where the rubber meets the road is through the office of the county executive, county attorney, and county staff. That's how we get things done. That's the best start of the I Love Seville show we may have ever had right there, Judah Wickauer. That was absolutely fantastic from Donna Price. A pop culture reference, a movie reference, a book reference, and she ties it all together with the county she loves so dearly. Why don't we highlight, um, are you nine, ten days into retirement right now? I am, exactly. Nine, nine <laughs> days, and, and uh, actually, yeah, I do some quick math. Let's just call it nine days for the sake of a talk show. You did a Facebook post. I follow everything that you write on social media, Facebook in particular. I really like the long-form content that you put on Facebook because you're a fantastic writer. I think, and I'm paraphrasing the first paragraph or two, this was the first morning in a long time I didn't have to carry two cell phones and two laptops with me when you left your Almaro County far bed. Put oh, that in perspective oh for us. Oh, my God, Jerry. It was, fat. it was the most freeing moment I've had. I mean, I have a 45-year public service career, um, 25 years active duty in the Navy, 20 years as an attorney, you know, adjunct professor at University of Richmond Law School, Board of Supervisors. For four years, I never left my house without two phones, two laptops, because I never knew what was going to happen during the day and where I'd have to go. So that first Monday, the holiday, you know, the, the first of January, I get up, I leave the house, and it's like, <laughs> I don't have a county laptop. I don't have a county phone. And I have a couple of cases I have to wrap up in my law practice but I left my laptop. I only took one phone, my personal phone. It was the most freeing thing in the world. Which brings me to another topic, and that is communicating with your county officials. I saw something on Facebook this weekend about complications with this Mexican restaurant opening in Upper Town Scottsville. And several people were communicating back and forth, and I saw one of the posts, and it said, maybe our supervisor and chair of the board can step in and do something. Jerry, then nobody ever contacted me while I was a supervisor <laughs> about the problem. To me, it's the old question, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? No. These two people were communicating with each other 
No one ever came to me and said there's a problem with this business getting a final inspection so they could open. So I've communicated with the current supervisor for the Scottsville district, Mike Pruitt, great guy, Absolutely. who's already working with the mayor, and they're working with the county to try and address the problem. So if, if you're out there and you see something that needs to be done, don't just talk among yourselves. Contact us. Every supervisor has a county email, a county phone number. You can go online, contact the clerk's office. you got to let us know what the problem is through the right channels for us to be able, well, now them, to be able to take action on it. <laughs> Title price is so good. Uh, if you zoom in on a one-shot, I think you may be able to spotlight Donna's earrings. Uh, she has earrings on that say vote on them. I've been dying to know the story behind the vote earrings. You know, novelty earrings are so cool. Absolutely. You know, they really are. But of all the novelty earrings, you know, your Halloween, your Christmas, whatever it may be, there's nothing like a vote earring in Virginia. Because in Virginia, we have elections all the time. <laughs> we have, in fact, that brings up a good point. Early voting for the presidential primary in Virginia begins, I can't remember if it's the 20th or the 22nd of January. That's less than two weeks away. People need to start paying attention to what's going on. Let's talk a little bit about that election coming up as it ties in to local government. <clears throat> I mentioned our county executive, Jeff Richardson. Mm -hmm. Jeff Richardson is a leader in the ICMA, the International County Civil, County City Managers Association. Okay. For over 15 years, he's been teaching at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I didn't know that. Yeah, to individuals in the MPA, the Masters in Public Administration, to fellows for the ICMA program. And I had the great opportunity last year to accompany him and watch him in action. And, and you need to look at their code of ethics. Okay. And if you look at their code of ethics, it explains everything that you want to see in a public leader. So let's talk about these vote earrings. Okay. When you go out to vote, you ought to look at those ICMI code of ethics and what you want in a leader. Integrity, dedication, commitment, not self-serving. So I'm just telling people, if you want government to work, you got to put the people in there who actually believe in building and growing, not destroying. And I'll leave it there. Well, you don't want to tie it to what we have potentially on the ballot? No, we're going to stick with the county okay. today. Okay, okay. We okay. want to talk about national politics. Jerry, bring me back. I will. I will absolutely do that. But, but let's tie that back to the county. Okay. What Mr. Richardson has done is he has opened up opportunities for training at all levels of leadership in Albemarle County to ensure that they are instilling in all of our leaders, and everyone in the county is a leader at some level, the same standards of conduct and code of ethics. And that's why we don't have scandals in Albemarle County, because leadership starts at the top and it flows down. And you know that. Yeah. You have a good boss that people want to work for, and you have a great organization. I was on the phone with Patrick May this week, who's the president of the Yancey Lumber Yard, you know, the, the sawmill out there in Ivy. And I was talking with him, and I was just complimenting him on his organization. And he, as a good leader does, was passing on all of that to the people who work for him. And I said, Patrick, the reason you've got people good working for you, good people working for you, is you're a good person to work for because you support 
your team. You give them the opportunities to excel. And you recognize the difference between a mistake and misconduct. And that's what we have to do. And that's what happens with Albemarle County. Let me also take a few minutes and talk about our board. Sure. We had a great board. We really did. I was so blessed. Ned Galloway was the chair in January of 2020 when I came on the board. And by March of 2020, we were going virtual because the pandemic had hit us just like it hit everyone out in your audience. And I was so fortunate to serve for two years as vice chair under Chair Galloway. Ned Galloway and Claudette Borgerson, our clerk, they then came up with an incredible method of allowing us to work effectively on Zoom as we did our meetings. And that enhanced communication and cooperation by board members during our meetings. And so when we came out of the pandemic, and I was very honored to be you know, elected by the other members of the board to be the chair, we now have an incredible process on the way our board meets. And it, it ensures that every member of the Board of Supervisors knows they're going to have an opportunity to speak. So there's no interrupting each other because of fear that they won't have their opportunity to ask their questions. It's on a rotating basis, so you don't get to get first or, ha or be last every time. And it really has, has enhanced and improved the quality of our meetings. And if you look over the last four years, you'll see that the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors meetings have gone from routinely lasting nine, ten hours down to about a six-hour average now. And that's because we've enhanced and improved both what we do at the board as well as what county staff has done in preparing their documentation to come before the board so that we're better prepared when the meetings come up. And the board members have gotten better about asking questions of staff in advance of the meeting so that staff is able to provide answers to the questions rather than on the spot, not not being prepared to answer a question they weren't aware of. We've also enhanced the way we treat each other with respect. And that's really important because if you look around our country, you'll see public meetings, school boards, county boards of supervisors, commissioners, whatever the jurisdiction may be, where people are shouting and yelling at each other. And that goes back to our community. Again, the first players on our team. They treat us with respect, which makes it easier for us to respond respectfully for them. So when we're all working together for a common objective, even though we may have different ideas on how to get there, that's how we achieve greatness in Albemarle County. Now you raised Albemarle, I mean Ravana Station futures. Yes. Okay, we've got to go back to several things. 1980 annexation. And we know that we've got the revenue sharing agreement, which unfortunately we're not going to be able to change. Right. But because of that revenue sharing agreement and then later the state imposing a temporary and now basically a permanent ban on annexation, the county has been able to enhance and improve the value of our commercial and industrial real estate. And as we do more of that, we're able to reduce the tax burden on residential because we want commercial industrial to pay a higher share of real estate values. Now, our growth corridor is 29 north, north of the city limits. That's where most of the shopping, most of the industry is. And we know that the defense industry in Albemarle County contributes $1.2 billion. With a our, B. With a B. Yep. To our economy. Half of that comes from Ravana Station, 75 acres, the home of three intelligence um, agencies in the federal government. But we knew it was at risk of being moved. So by the county's purchase of about 460 acres surrounding 
Ravana Station, we have, for the first time in Virginia, provided physical site security to a military installation. So that enhances our ability to keep that six, currently $600 million of economic input in the county. And then by developing that into an intelligence community innovation campus where we're working with universities, government, industry to bring more out there, practically across the street from UVA Foundation's North Fork, we've got over 1,000 acres. Greene County, just to the north of us, has got over 500 acres they're designating. So we're looking at over 1,500 acres of land available for high-tech industry, which is going to be the growth for our county. I remain convinced that the county's purchase of Ravana Station Futures is the greatest economic opportunity for our county and region since the establishment of the University of Virginia in the early 1800s. That's worth reiterating here, and I, and I concur. The greatest economic impact, Ravana Station, since the University of Virginia in Albemarle County, and happening under her four-year term. Now, there was others on the board. It was our team. It was a team effort. It was, it was a, a team, team effort. effort. And let yeah. me highlight especially Supervisor Ann Malik. Please. And Supervisor Diantha McKeel. Please. Supervisor Malik was the first supervisor many, many years ago to identify and recognize the risk of Ravana Station moving. So she's the one who first brought it up. But we wouldn't have been able to purchase it had it not been for Supervisor Diantha McKeel, who a number of years ago recognized that Albemarle County needed an economic development office. And that was in a time when people, you know, you said economic development and people would respond to pox on you and your family because they thought you're <laughs> going to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. And what we've been able to show in Albemarle County is you can have development and maintain the beauty of our county. So I got to give credit where credit is due. It's those two supervisors collectively that pushed the initiative that ultimately resulted just recently in the county closing the deal on acquiring that land. After those two supervisors got everybody thinking about it, about it. it was county staff. Let me recognize Deputy County Executive Trevor Henry, who has worked tirelessly to, to work with state, federal governments, industry, education, to kind of get all of this together. And that's why we have this future. It is bright for Albemarle County. I, also, I totally see the brightness. I totally see yeah. the brightness. Um, I want to highlight, I saw uh, Supervisor Diantha McKeel last night at a community advisory, is it council or committee? Committee. Community advisory committee meeting at Greer Elementary. She was uh, as informed as anyone in the room on all the topics there. And she speaks, Donna does, about the institutional memory of uh, Supervisor Malik and Supervisor McKeel. I believe Supervisor Malik in her fifth term, uh, fifth yes. consecutive term. Correct. Supervisor McKeel, is this her third consecutive term? It is, after serving several terms the on, school the board. School board on the school she board, she was chair there. Right. And, and let, let's, you know, that's a great thing to bring up. Sure. What I really appreciate is the blending of both longevity and newness. We see and, that with Jim Andrews. We see that with Mike Pruitt. We saw that with you. Yep. And, and it's really important because if all you have are the same people, you're less likely to get new ideas. Sure. And so diversity, that, that's important. Yeah. You bring in new people. Mike Pruitt, eight-year Navy officer, getting ready to graduate from UVA Law School. He's bringing energy that a young person can bring. I am so excited to see him on the board. Me too, Mike. Me too. And, and, and then 
but, but it's really important. We've got Ann Malik. She's president uh, of VACO, Virginia Association of Counties. So that's the other thing the county is, the board has worked on the last few years, is we are re-energized with VACO because we are leaders in the Commonwealth. And by our supervisors being more involved in VACO, we become leaders throughout the Commonwealth. So Supervisor Malik, Supervisor McKeel, they are our longevity. Then you've got Ned Galloway, also formerly on the school board, chair of the school board. Second term on the board of supervisors. And previous chair. Right. He's currently the chair of the Regional Housing Partnership and um, TJPDC, Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. He brings a wealth of experience. Focused on housing. Mike Pruitt, focused on housing. Let's take Jim Andrews. Jim Andrews, lawyer, physics professor. The man is a genius. He, <laughs> he can find details that I just simply am not been able to find. He brings a depth of analysis into everything that we do. Um, B. Lapisto Kirtley, former you know, government official out in California. Our second term. Second term brings a wealth of experience. And, and B can connect with people on every side of the political spectrum. I mean, she is incredible at that. She's got a talent there I can't come close to reaching. To see her working with Republicans, Democrats, independents, having a conversation and communication, bringing them together, it's a great board. Jim Andrews is the chair. Diantha McKeel is the vice chair. I am so excited about what they're going to bring. Nobody works harder than this board. Our county is very blessed. I we, have one problem with our board. They're not paid enough. Oh, Let amen. me tell you, they are not paid Put that enough. in perspective, the number. Was it around 17,000, 18,000? It's, it's about 20,000. 20,000, okay. 20,000. You know, you're, you're working 50, 60 hours a week, and it's, it's, it's just not right. It's not right to have this kind of work requirements and responsibilities in that type of compensation. Any benefits with that? Uh, the one benefit that you get is um, you do get health care. Right. And you, if you keep track of it, you get mileage reimbursement. And thank God I got mileage reimbursement. <laughs> there were days I would put over 100 miles driving And she's got a big truck. Ford F-350. I was going to say, I've seen it at ACAC before. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for the mileage, I, I mean, that, that basically... Um, made it pa passable, impossible. But our Board of Supervisors needs a substantial increase in pay. Now, there are those who will argue that we don't want it to be full-time. And, you know, we're not Fairfax County with one and a half million people. Um, Fairfax County has more population in each magisterial district than we have in the county. Uh, their supervisors make about hundred dollars to $115,000 a year. We don't need that. We've got a half billion dollar budget in the county though and the supervisors need to be paid more and I can say that it's not self-serving I'm off the board the board of supervisors is not fairly compensated I would love to see and I brought this up to county executive Mr. Richardson I would like to see the same type of comprehensive compensation study done for the board of supervisors that was done for the county let's talk a little bit about what the county has done our sixth strategic priority is a stable workforce uh -huh. when I came on the board the county was suffering from an exodus of people. Do you know that over half of the people working for the county have been there less than five years? This is uh, Almoro County, actually employed by Almoro. 800 employees, over half of them have been there less than five years. Man. We have a new county attorney, Steve Rosenberg. He's great. He replaced Greg Kampner, who was great as well. Um, and Greg was just like Jeff on, on, um, on statewide 
uh, county attorney involvement. Um, we have a new deputy county executive in Ann Wall. She brings a wealth of experience. I only got to work with her for a week or two, but she's very impressive. Replaced Doug Walker, who retired. We've got um, a new human resources. We've got a new IT director. I mean, I could go down the list. How much leadership has changed? Half of the county is less than five years' experience during the pandemic. I am so proud of the work they did during that extremely demanding time. And one of the other things people need to remember is in 2010, the, super, the Board of Supervisors at that time, after the Great Recession, cut the tax rate six cents. When they cut that, that meant it took the county 10 years to catch up. It gutted the capital improvement plan. Now we've recently approved three new schools, two elementary schools, North Feeder Pattern, South Feeder Pattern, and a new um, Center 2. We've, um, we're getting ready to open up the first stage of Biscuit Run Park. We've enhanced a lot of our other parks. We're establishing a public works department because our um, you know, growth area, the, um, the urban ring, is indistinguishable from the city. We've got a street sweeper now. And our county staff did all of that with half of them being brand new employees. I am so proud of our county staff. They're professional and they're also, they're always looking for compliance not charging someone. And they will work with you as long as you're willing to work with the county to bring you into compliance rather than taking some sort of you know, adverse action against you. So it, it, again, it's, it's working together, the community members and the staff. So it, it's really been great what, what, what they've been able to accomplish. Uh, what, Neil Williamson watching the program right now. Carol Thorpe will get to your comments. Neil let Williamson. Let me talk about Neil. Yeah. Neil is a great guy. Uh, Neil is there every single meeting. Seats available. Yeah, I love that, <laughs> seats available. And I love Neil's writings, and I love his questions. And he holds our feet to the fire. And let's talk about that a little bit. You know, the, the motto of the Washington Post is democracy dies in darkness. And Neil Williamson is our local um, reporter. I know he's the, you know, the president of the Freedom um, Free Enterprise Forum. Pro yep, yep. And, and he does a great job. But I always appreciate the critical questions that he asked to make sure that we're not overlooking something. So, Neil, thank you for your public service. He has a number of, uh, a couple questions for you, and I will uh, relay them Neil, live I on air. Neil, I just said nice things about you. Come on, don't put me on the hot seat. <laughs> Viewers and listeners, you can ask Donna Price questions by uh, putting them in the comments section. John Blair, the attorney, uh, also a city uh, executive, town executive. I'll get to your comments on LinkedIn here. John's First, a great guy, too. Oh, great guy. Yeah. John is a great guy. Neil Williamson says this. Um, does former Supervisor Price believe that compensation is responsible for the lack of diversity on the Board of Supervisors? Well, that, you know, what do you mean by diversity? Do you mean I, diversity by virtue of age? I think that's what income, he means. Income? Yeah. Uh, do also, you mean the, racial? the type um, of employment as well. Because you and I, as um, entrepreneurs or self employed individuals, we can set our schedule. Um, whereas, um, Someone that may be working like a nine to six, nine to five, nine to seven thirties, whatever it is, a shift work, may be having, may have a difficult time uh, meeting the demands of supervisor work. You know, there's so many factors that go into a person's availability to run for public office. And let me also point out the animosity of our era. We live in an era of anger. People are quick to judge, hold a grudge, and whereas I grew up, you know, where you're supposed to treat other people with respect, it's almost become in fashion to demonstrate how mean you can be to someone else. So think about, um, there was a vacancy on the Charlottesville City Council a year or so ago, 
And I think they had like 12 or 15 people who applied for it. Yet when it comes to running for office, to you know, going in a campaign, it's, it's hard to find people who are willing to do it. Um, That's a great point. So when three seats were up this past election cycle for the city council race, five people ran. When a replacement spot was up, when Cena McGill resigned midterm for personal reasons, there was a dozen that applied. And perhaps to her point, the point she's making, those a dozen who applied did not have to go through the campaign or the election cycle where there's exposure and vulnerability. And they were appointed. And let's talk a little bit about that. When I ran in 2019, um, you know, the first interview I have with the newspaper, we're, we're chatting about all my background and all of that. And then the, the reporter kind of starts doing this hemming and hawing. And I knew what he was waiting to ask me. So finally, I just said, come on, just ask the question. He said, okay, are you going to run as a transgender candidate? I said, no. I'm going to run as a candidate who's transgender. There you go. I'm not running as a retired Navy candidate. I'm a candidate who's a retired Navy captain. Not running as an Episcopalian. I'm a candidate who happens to be an Episcopalian. Can't you just run as Donna Price? Well, because, you know, um, transgender was still kind of new then. When I got elected, I was one of 21 transgender elected officials around the country. That's all. Um, and... You know, when you're the first of anything, you're being judged as if you somehow represent that entire community. Um, and there were some pretty nasty things said about me um, when I was running. Um, and so a lot of people are understandably hesitant to step out into an era. It's road rage on the information superhighway. People hide behind the semi-anonymity of being able to attack you. Keyboard muscles. Exactly, exactly. They wouldn't do it to your face. Exactly. But, they, but they're happy to do that. So to get back to Neil's question, um, I think there are many, many factors that affect why we have diversity issues on the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors. Um, what our board has done with redistricting has focused on ensuring that each of our six magisterial districts have had both an urban and a rural component. Now that's becoming ever more difficult because we have two districts, Jack Jewett and Rio, that are urban ring centric. Each of them has a small ur rural area, but they are predominantly urban. The other four around the corners, Whitehall, Ravana, Scottsville, and Samuel Miller are predominantly rural with a smaller urban component. When redistricting came up while I was on the board, we were handicapped because the census had not been completed in a timely fashion. And by the time it finally worked its way through and the Supreme Court of Virginia finally approved the congressional redistricting, which then impacted what we did at the county level, we didn't have a whole lot of time, but I'm satisfied with the redistricting we did. One of the things that I looked into, though, was, you know, is it possible to have a minority-majority magisterial district in Albemarle County, which you find in a lot of other redistricting? And the reality is the minority population in Albemarle County is so widely dispersed, you would have to gerrymander to have that. But because we don't have a minority-majority or minority-plurality district at this time, the reality is that it, it makes it much more of a challenge for a racial minority to be elected. Makes the board homogenous. Yes. 
It, it, yeah. it is. Um, and I actually did, I can't remember the data right now, but I went back and looked over the course of time how many different supervisors had been elected. I think Neil Williamson, Neil Williamson, you taught me this. I think there's been one African-American. One African-American. Is it Mr. Barber? I don't recall the name. I think Neil taught me this. Correct one. me if I'm wrong. One in Almoral County's history, and that's a travesty. It, it really is. Um, it's mostly been older white males, although more recently there's been a large number of women right. on, on the board. In my first two years, there were five women and one man. Then it went to four women and one man, um, and now it's three women and three men on the board. So we're seeing a sexual um, spread of opportunity, but we still have not had racial or ethnic minority representative representation that should be there. Now, only one black male has run for office for the board during Gerard Smith. Term. Right. Yeah. Um, Rivana District. Rivana District. Lost law. Bela Pisto currently beat him. In the primary. Right. He's of Barbersville. And so, you know, and he's a good guy. Great guy. He is a good I remember guy. when he was a running back for Almoro High School, a talented running back uh, he, for the Almoro High School Patriots. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, me, Donna Price, local community member, no longer elected official, I would love to see as time progresses that a few supervisors with experience stay on for that corporate knowledge and continuity, uh -huh. but also that some step aside and let younger individuals Mike Pruitt in the Scottsville district. Oh, you know, and, I would, and Kenneth Martin's his name. Thank you, Neil Williamson, uh, for that. Kenneth Martin, the lone African-American to ever serve on the board in Albemarle County history. Kenneth Martin, um, thank you for that clarity right there. Um, Supervisor Pruitt has come on the talk show. He and I don't see eye, and eye, eye to eye on everything, but I have tremendous respect for him. I have tremendous respect that he is utilizing a lot of his... Um, high-earning power years. I mean, he's coming out of one of the best public law service. schools in the world, UVA, for and public he's service. for public service. Yep. I mean, we should not underestimate the fact that Mike Pruitt is putting Almaro County in four years of working for $20,000 before earning potential where it could easily do six figures easily. coming out of the University of Virginia in major metro markets. Instead, he's doing public service after time in the Navy. So props to him for that. Yeah. I also want to give props to him for having the courage at, I mean, he, I don't know exactly his age. I would, I would imagine his 30s. Yeah, I yeah. would say mid-30s. Mid-30s. Running and getting involved in something that is not easy-peasy here. And he spent, he spent 18 months or more um, preparing and running and getting to know the community. Right. Let's, let's also take that and go to the redistricting, what it's done at the General Assembly for the House of Delegates. Amy Lawford, Katrina Carlson. We've got two young, outstanding women. We almost had Donna Price. Uh, you know, if Amy hadn't run, I'd have stayed in the race. But with Amy, I was, I was very satisfied to say, I'm old enough, I can step aside, because we do need to have a younger generation. And with redistricting, you know, there's now, that's, those are those positions to lose for the next roughly 10 years, well, seven years, I guess, six years, um, until the next redistricting. So that gives continuity and increasing seniority so that Albemarle County, for the first time in decades, has an opportunity in the House of Delegates to have senior leadership. And we've got Cree Deeds over in the Senate, who has been a bellwether for years, maintaining you know, some seniority and bringing great leadership over there, particularly on things that affect families, mental health, things like that. So I think Albemarle County is really well positioned right now 
at the General Assembly level with um, in the Senate Cree Deeds and the House with Amy and Katrina at the Board of Supervisors. Um, I can't talk as much about the school board, not because I don't care, but because when I was on the Board of Supervisors, I put very firm, you know, lane lines up yeah. that I stayed out of school board business. Uh, oh, let's talk about another thing. County-city relationship. Oh, yeah. Lloyd Snook and I met each other. We used to both go to the same church, St. Paul's Memorial Episcopal, right across from the Rotunda. We got to know each other there. Then I moved to a, a rural church. Didn't know he was going to run for city council. He didn't know I was going to run for the board. He becomes mayor. I become chair. We started a, an almost monthly public luncheon because we wanted people to see the city and the county working together. And Jim Andrews is continuing that with Mayor Juan Diego Wade. And so what we are seeing is an enhancement of relationships between the city and the county. And I tell you, there was almost not a single time when Lloyd and I were having lunch that someone didn't stop and say how great it is to see the city and the county working together. Let me also give props to J.J. Davis and President Ryan over at UVA. Same thing. We know the University of Virginia is the big player in our region. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they are bigger than everybody else put together. But over the last several years, the university has really enhanced its efforts to reach out to the city and the county to bring us in and let us know that they care about what we believe and what we think and what needs to be done. So what we're seeing now is the city, the county, the university working together in ways that has not existed for years. And so, you know, all of this together, it goes back to the community. It's all of us working together to make this a better place. I love it. John Blair giving you some props. He says, Donna Price was a model elected official for Albemarle County. Um, I'm going to get to your comments. Put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Vanessa, I will get to yours. Uh, Carol, I feel very comfortable with, uh, with, with everything, and I'll get to your comment here in a matter of moments. I want to throw this to you here. Could you put us as a potential fly on the wall with the negotiations of Rivanna Station? Was it $58 million? Uh, 58 million is, I think that's what the final figure ended up being. Roughly it's 58 somewhere. million. Right. Wendell Wood, the landowner, I think mm -hmm. it was a brilliant move. I mean, brilliant move. The initial reaction was one of um, not shock, but maybe sticker shock. But then once that sticker shock wore off and we truly understood what you guys did, it was a no brainer. Uh, it sure. was an absolute no brainer. $600 million right. from Ravana Station annually to our economy. Yeah. 58 million to buy the land is a tenth. And what we can, when that gets built out, yeah. Oh my gosh! You have you have you have an entire economic ecosystem that is potentially not even directly tied to the University of Virginia, which breeds further stability for the region and certainly for the county. But could you give us like a fly in the wall, like some behind the scenes of the negotiation, maybe a timeline how it played out? No, can't no, go, can't go there. I, okay, can't go okay, there. okay. <clears throat> but let's let's go back to that. Sure. When it is built out, and yeah. it's going to take years. Be patient. Sure. You know, not only did we have to buy the land, now you have to put in the infrastructure which is probably somewhere in the $50 million or so range. Okay. You know, roads and technology. And this is going to be high-tech technology because a, a SCIF, a sensitive compartmented information facility uh -huh. for highly classified information, all of that has to be protected. Right. But when that all gets built out, think about what that's going to do to the commercial and industrial real estate values in Albemarle County and the way that's going to reduce the burden on residential 100%. property owners. Yeah. 
it's going to pay for itself many times over. Yeah, yeah. New jobs, incremental tax revenue, uh, stability when it comes to the economy because it's not just um, market share dominated by UVA. It's basically another economic ecosystem being created. I think this is a no-brainer. And it's not warehouses. And it's and, not, yeah, no, right. And, and I've got nothing against warehouses. I live in the county. I live way out in the county. I, I buy stuff online all the time. These, you know, fulfillment centers or warehouses, they're, they're part of our economic ecosystem. But the jobs the employees get there, they're not going to be paying eighty, dollars $100,000 a year, which is what these jobs at Ravana Station Futures and North Fork, that's what those jobs will be paying. Uh, Jim Hingley watching the program right now. Oh, and what Jim, a Commonwealth Jim Hingley is phenomenal. He has a slight correction Jim Hingley does on Neil Williamson. He says uh, it's Charles S. Martin and not Kenneth Martin. Charles S. Martin is a former member of the Almora County Board of Supervisors who served from 1991 to 2003, and he passed away in April of 2012 at age 57. And to Jim's credit, has citation marks. Um, That's Jim. That's said over here. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about, okay, Neil asked a good question, diversity on the board, okay? The board has no control over diversity in terms of who runs for office. That's the public decides, someone in the public can run. Let's talk about what Jeff Richardson done, has done in county government, however. I, you know, I am a firm believer in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And all of these people who talk about wokeism, well, it's just another word for, quote, political correctness back early in my career. Political correctness is nothing more than treating everyone with dignity and respect and giving every individual the same opportunities for success. And that's what Jeff Richardson has done with county government. You look at the changes from exclu- almost exclusively white and white male leadership in the county to now you've got women, people of color, you've got all different ethnicities and everything, and it's always working. And these are not you know, um, affirmative action hires. These are qualified individuals. If you didn't have a focus on giving everyone an equal opportunity, then they wouldn't be ha- given the opportunity to succeed. And they are bringing great improvements to the county. So I am extremely proud. We have a county government that looks like our county population, and that's yeah. what it should be. Yeah, I think I 100% agree on that. Philip Dow watching the program in Scottsville. Oh, I love Philip. Holly, uh, Holly Foster um, says, I hope Miss Price will enjoy her retirement and get some travel in soon with her law background. Would she consider running for attorney general for the state of Virginia? She would have my vote. We need individuals in government with common sense. Is your political career over, Donna Price? I don't know, Jerry. Um, you want to break some news on the show here? No, no, no okay. news on the show. But um, I've been working, uh, it's like 45 year professional career. And then if you count working during law school, um, college, You've been grinding. high school, it's yeah. been a long. Um, so I, I'm at least going to take a couple of years off because I need it. And how does, Holly, how does uh, Donna Price um, enjoy her time off? What do you do uh, personal time? Well, the first thing, I've started to read books again. Okay. Okay. I'm reading a, a, about a 600-page biography on Martin Luther King Jr. Um, the two kings, as I call them, are my heroes, Billie Jean King and Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and um, She's a sports fan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, each of them in their own ways have been leaders um, in bringing equality and, and justice. Um, so um, that's the first thing I'm reading for pleasure, which I've not had time to do. I signed a contract for that elusive truck camper people have heard me talking about for years. I'm going to be picking that up later this month. 
Um, I bought the book on um, Virginia campgrounds. I plan on visiting all of them over the next few years. I'm going to hike the Camino, take a couple of months over in Europe. Can't do that if you're holding elective office. Um, so you're living the dream right now. I, I am living the dream. So give me a couple of years for me. Um, call it my sabbatical time, and at the end of that, we'll figure out where, where things go. Uh, Ginny Hu on Twitter, hello. Albert Graves on Twitter, hello. Welcome to the broadcast. Viewers and listeners, let us know your thoughts. A couple of TV stations watching the program as we speak right here with the famous and the talented Donna Price on the show. Um, I want to get to this. You mentioned when you were campaigning that you faced um, some, some nasty attacks during the campaign. Yeah. I saw similar nasty attacks this past election cycle. And the unfortunate aspect of social media is what we highlighted, keyboard muscles, or the ability to say nastiness that someone would never say person to person. We saw this um, at the delegate level. We saw this at the state senate level. We certainly saw this at the school board level. Uh, we saw this um, even a little bit in Almoro County uh, Board of Supervisor races, mm-hmm. um, in particular in the Rivanna District. Um, and I will leave it at that. How did – I want to understand the psychology of Donna Price. Are you the DNA and mindset that it just fueled your fire? Or did it give you pause and make you think, am I making the right decision? I never hesitated to, uh, to run for office and never thought it was not the right decision. Um, I honestly feel sorry for people, you know, keyboard muscles, you call it. Right. Um, in our very first Zoom meeting uh-huh. in March of 2020, okay. within seconds of opening up the chat line to the public, Someone typed in F-U-U, trans P-O-S, and went on from there. Um, I feel sorry for people, and I actually have the transcript, and I know that person's name, uh, because they weren't smart enough to hide their identity at that point. Um, Someone else then chimed in with some of the most racist language, seven pages of doing it. Uh, The county fortunately learned how to put a stop to that. But we know that it's happened at city council meetings. They've banned Zoom. Yeah. They've banned Zoom commenting on the record uh, during the public portion of council meetings. Because there there are cowards out there. The cowards. They're total cowards. The other thing is there are people around the country who have no connection with our community. When I want to talk about a couple of the decisions that we made on the Board of Supervisors, of which I am most proud. And this this is the team of the board. This is not me, Donna Price. It takes six of us to do it. The first one, in terms of significance was our decision to remove Confederate iconography in front of the county courthouse. This pedestal, the statue, the cannons, and the stacked cannonballs. Um, Most of the decisions we make as a board are what I call better best decisions. That was a right-wrong decision. It's either right to leave it there or it's wrong to leave it there. It's either right to remove it or it's wrong to remove it. And then the better best decision is what do we do with it once we removed it. And state law limited how we could handle it. And our board was unanimous in our decision to remove it. And I am so proud of the fact that Albemarle County was the first local jurisdiction in the Commonwealth to lawfully remove Confederate iconography. 6-0, easy vote. More difficult was what are we going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a number of entities and individuals who wanted it. Um, state law limited who we could dispose of it to. Um, 
And there were three in favor of one location, two opposed. I was one of the two opposed to it. And one who could have gone either way on it. This is the better best decision. We made the right decision to remove it. Now better best is what do we do with it? And this to me showed the strength of our board. We don't have sidebar conversations like you see in TV or in a courtroom. And as we did our discussion, and it was looking to be a 3-2-1 vote, the three stayed consistent, and the two and the one all realized that the best decision for our county was that all six of us agree that it be disposed of the way the three wanted it to go. So it ended up being 6-0, the right decision to remove it, and 6-0, the best decision on where it was going to go. And I'm so proud of our board for doing that because we all saw through our discussion this was the best thing for our community. Get that festering sore out of here. So I was very proud of our board the way we handled that. More locally, uh -huh. um, I was one of the champions, but it was not me alone. It was the whole board to get that Southern Convenience Center opened up down in Keene. Um, and it is a beautiful facility. Um, next, they're going to build one on the northern side of the county which means you'll have four different places in the county that you can take your recycling, Ivy, McIntyre, Northern and Southern. You'll have three locations where you can take your household garbage, Northern, Southern, and Ivy, and one location where you can take your bulky items out at Ivy. Those are within the county. I also want to give props to Vanderland over at Zion's. Over 85% of what is dropped off at Zion at Vanderland is recycled. That's actually better than taking it to, um, to Ivy. Take it to Zion's, to Vanderlyn, where they recycle it. If you take it to Ivy, it goes to a landfill somewhere. But that's improving the quality of life for our community. Other things that we've done, um, you know, one of the real benefits that came out of the Great Recession was instead of, I don't know, 2,500 houses being built, we're going to have Biscuit Run Park. I lived in Virginia Beach near First Landing State Park for 18 years. Fabulous facility. In time, as Biscuit Run is built out, we're going to have that same facility right here in central Virginia and Albemarle County. It's going to have trails. It's going to have sports fields. It's going to be a great benefit. It'll be the central park of central Virginia. So there's so many things that we've done here at the county. Um, I mentioned you know, previously, we've got three new schools under construction. It's been 20 years since we built a school. Because you, know? you can't build a school when you cut your tax rate by six cents. Right, right. And people ask, you know, why can't we just keep things the way they are? Well, our population's growing. When I go to VACO meetings and I listen to a supervisor from a county that their population has been consistent, stagnant for 50 years, they don't need expanding their schools because they're not growing. They probably have fewer kids in school now than they did. Nelson County lost, I don't know, 4,000 4, people over the last decade. Albemarle County is where people need to be. I'm really excited about Mike Pruitt being on the board, working with Ned Galloway and the other supervisors with a focus on increasing the housing stock and making housing more affordable here. But I am not yet in favor of expanding our growth area. I was going to ask you that. We don't. We got five percent of Albemarle County allocated for development, and of that five percent, um, not all of it has the topography for actual development. That's true, and you cannot build to a hundred percent capacity on any site right. because they're not all flat. You've got you know stream protection, you've got topography, <clears throat> you've got all these other issues out there. 
But I am really proud of Albemarle County for doing what they have done to avoid urban sprawl. Okay. I grew up in Atlanta. Uh-huh. At one point in time, the average person's commute in Atlanta was the longest mileage distance in the country. Mm. We don't want that here. No. But we do need to increase our housing stock. We need to make it more affordable, and that means we have to have more density within our urban ring. Does that mean potentially considering upzoning in the urban ring, like city council just recently upzone the city? I am. I think that has to be looked at. Okay. And I'm also supportive of something Neil Williamson has been asking about. Commercial to residential. Changing some commercial to residential, provided we don't gut our commercial industrial capacity right because if we do that that's going to put the tax burden on rooftops residential again and it's going to turn us into nothing but a um a, a, a suburban neighborhood where we don't have jobs you have to have jobs and we also have to be able to have housing near jobs so one of the things that's currently in the pipeline and the board will decide not me is part of North Fork has been proposed to change from commercial to residential to get more people closer to their jobs. That's a quality of life thing. It's also an environmental thing. Uh-huh. It's part of our environmental action plan in the county is to reduce the transit times for people so we're not polluting more. What does upzoning the urban ring look like for Almaro County, and how seriously is this considered? Um, I can't answer the last question because okay. it's something that's working its way through. Okay. Um, I think it's something that has to be taken into consideration. I think we have to move more and more away from detached single-family R1 zoning in our more densely um, populated areas. You know, the expansion of auxiliary dwelling units, things like that, are really important. Um, I'm still struggling a bit with the aspect of reducing parking requirements too dramatically because what you don't want to do is have a situation where those people who need vehicles and their guests have nowhere to park. Like downtown Belmont on a Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, you have to have a place to park. And, of course, once you go to multi-tiered, multi-level parking, you're increasing the expenses. So it's it's complex. Charlottesville still is not at the capacity of population density to be able to fully support the, you know, a, a metro-type system like in Washington, D.C. So, you know, public transportation in the city and the urban ring remains a challenge. Yeah. But MicroCat is just booming right now. It the is. Early indications and reports, so that's really growing. And as it grows, we can expand it. And as we expand it, it gets used more. So everything's on a cycle. Nothing stays still. You're either moving up or you're moving down. And right now, MicroCat is improving our local public transportation opportunities. How much of Almaro County governance is tied to the potential cause and effect of the city of Charlottesville? County surrounds the city. Uh, 5% of Almaro County allocated to development, Mm -hmm. uh, basically housing people. And if that 5%, and and I'm with you, I don't think the 5% should be expanded until the 5, not yet, because the 5% is not fully utilized. So why expand something when it's not fully utilized? I'm 100% agreement. Here's the question I have for you, though. (laughs) If if Almaro County is not careful, it's going to continue. Almaro County, in a lot of ways, could be the charge leader of unaffordability in the city of Charlottesville. We could be. But let's also look at what county has done, not by itself. Okay. Again, it's a team effort. Sure. Take Habitat and all the other entities with the county and what's happening in Southwood. Okay. Okay. You're taking a large tract of land, which is much easier to redevelop than these small lots. Sure. A large tract of land, 330 roughly 
dilapidated trailers transformed into wonderful housing for over a thousand units. Okay. Okay. That is bringing in more availability of housing, better quality of life for everyone, and three times the number of people. Okay. So if I remember right, you've got a little over 50,000 people in the city of Charlottesville, 10 square miles. Our urban ring is roughly 38 square miles okay. and about the same population. So we're roughly 25% of the density in our urban ring that Charlottesville is. So we still have time and the ability to become more dense in our urban ring before we have to expand into the development areas. And I know the developers want us to expand into the development areas because they can sell the land, build houses. But if we do that too soon, then we're just going to have nothing but we'll have sprawl, sprawl. Because we're, we're going to have you know, single houses on large lots, yeah. and that's going to go against everything that we're working A thousand for. percent agree with you. Not only would we have sprawl, we would have infrastructure concerns and environmental concerns. Absolutely. And we don't want, and I'm not trying to throw shade on Fredericksburg, but that's not what we want in Almaro County. You mentioned Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I don't want that in Almaro County either. No. Um, so, so I'll throw this to you. You mentioned transportation. What's the role, from your standpoint, of uh, ubiquitous and approachable transportation with affordability? Housing affordability. You know, the first thing is we have to get a, a, a regional transit authority. You know, I, I, when I lived in Virginia Beach for those 18 years, you know, I called it the seven sisters, the seven cities down there, each uh -huh. of which were more concerned about their own rice bowls. So if we can get a regional transit authority that actually has, you know, control, can make decisions. So what are you talking like the Central Virginia Transportation Authority, for example? Just throwing a name out yeah, there. Yeah, and they're working on one right now. Okay, okay. And if we can do that, then that allows us to enhance what we currently have between UVA, CAT, and Jaunt. Okay. Now, the funding complexities in public transportation is beyond my understanding okay. right now. Okay. It is so complex. Who gets funded how for what? Which riders and things like that. But if we can get that regional transit authority, then we can have a much more consolidated approach. And I say that giving great appreciation to those who are currently running those different entities, UVA Public Transportation, Jaunt, and CAT, because it is very difficult and they have them working together. Uh, well said. Um, Carol Thorpe, I'm going to highlight. Carol Thorpe um, has a long comment, a very detailed comment. I appreciate the comment there, Carol. Uh, she's in the Jack Jewett district. I will highlight or paraphrase this. She highlights her modest house in the Oak Forest subdivision in the Jack Jewett district that's uh, risen uh, $4 shy of a 50% increase over the last five years since 2018. And she feels the burden of mm -hmm. uh, this tax exposure when it comes to her house. Uh, and and she wants me to highlight um, that that relief is needed for many in the county that are in this position, certainly folks that are potentially on fixed um, income scenarios. Yeah. Um, and, and, and now that I'm on a fixed income um, and have seen my property values increase as well, um, I share to a degree, not perhaps to the extent that hers has affected her cash flow and everything, but I share the concern. Again, the more we can build up our commercial industrial property values, the more we can reduce the burden on the residential. Spotsylvania County, south of Washington, D.C., has a tremendous um, tax benefit reduction that's given to military personnel, which has resulted, if I recall my figures right, in a 12-cent increase 
on the real estate values for those who do not get the military tax reduction. So it's important to recognize, you know, it's like subsidized housing, uh, affordable housing. Every affordable unit has to be subsidized. If it wasn't, it'd be market-based. So someone is paying for that subsidy. And, and while I, I share the concerns about the increasing cost of living in the county, the reality is we have costs that the county has to incur in order to continue to improve it, or at a minimum maintain, but we want to improve the quality of life here. Especially as the population increases. And our population continues to increase. Right. Now, there are, th there are other things that we need to do. And the Jack Jewett District is one of the districts in particular where we still have a great many houses that are operating on wells and septic systems. And they are in that urban ring, and they really need to be on county water and sewage. But the cost of, you know, refitting some of these older homes, so Supervisor McKeel has been at the forefront of working to get some sort of a process which would um, help the affordability of the tap fees for these houses to be able to convert from wells and septic onto city water and sewer systems. And so it could be a loan, it could be a grant. There are a lot of different ways to work on it. Unfortunately, and you know, I may find myself in that same situation. There may be and there will be some of us as residents who find it unaffordable to remain in the residence that we are in. And we do as a county support allowing people to retire in place, but they, we cannot guarantee that, just right. like we cannot guarantee almost anything, we can just do the best that we possibly can. And there are tax relief opportunities. There are uh, tax relief opportunities. Presented but, by the county. And, and they are presented, and we are, at, right before I left the board at our last meeting on December 13th, um, we discussed expanding the, um, that exemption for people. But again, everything that is exempted is subsidized, and that means the other taxpayers have to pay for it. Right, right. Lily uh, Garcia-Walton watching the program, the Chief People Officer at Silverchair. Thank you kindly for watching the program. Um, we're spent about 10 more minutes here with Supervisor Price. Is a, is a payment, Michael Payne has endorsed this with mm -hmm. City Council, a pilot or a payment in lieu of taxes program with the University of Virginia. They continue to expand their, um, their ownership profile mm -hmm. of land, not only in uh, the county, but also the city. Um, other universities, well-endowed universities, and certainly UVA has billions in its endowment, um, have, have contributed money, capital, to jurisdictions. Harvard's a good example. Mm -hmm. um, your thoughts on the payment in lieu of taxes program? Do you support it? Is it a reality? Is it a pipe dream? Okay. Um, I do support it. Okay. But I also want to be clear. My understanding mm -hmm. is that the university does pay into our local area uh -huh. in, in a number of ways. So uh -huh. it's not that they are tax-free, uh -huh. but I do support a payment in lieu of taxes. And as, I'm, as you know, I was in the Navy for 25 years, and the federal government also doesn't pay mm -hmm. um, real estate taxes for its property. Yet there are um, expenses that are incurred by the local community to educate their students, the students, the children of the employees and the service members who happen to be stationed at that place. So I think the federal government has an obligation to, um, to pay 
towards local communities. I think the state and the University of Virginia is a component of the state okay. has an obligation to pay to the local communities on a fair value comparable to what a, um, a property owner would have to pay. Okay. So I definitely do support that. That is not something that the Board of Supervisors can um, pass an ordinance to require. That would have to come at the state level. Yeah, it's so Richmond. Creed, Creed Deeds, yeah. Amy Lawfer, Katrina Carlson, um, Governor Youngkin. Uh, those are the people that we need to put the communications to to get them to support this. The university is a great neighbor here, though. They really are. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do think that, yes, there is more that they can afford to pay. And through either the university or the UVA Foundation, they own a great deal of land um, in our community. What is the, uh, do you have any regrets for your four years as an elected official in Admiral County? Um, I miss it already. Do you? I do miss it. Wow. Um, I, I, I miss it um, tremendously because 45 years of public service, it's hard to step away, but I think it was for me the right thing. I needed uh -huh. a break. I needed, I want this, I need some time for me. Did you feel burnt out? No, 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 it wasn't that I felt burnt out. Um, my dad's 97, my mom's 93. I watched them very closely, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, I took my mom and dad to Ireland when dad was 82 and mom was 78. It was the last major trip they ever went on. Okay. Um, dad could have done a little more, you know, mom really couldn't. Now they get exhausted just talking with you for a little while. So, you know, I looked at it and said that basically the decade of the 70s is the last age opportunity for me to do some things that I've always wanted to do. Okay. Uh, this truck camper, you know, yeah. travel around the United States and Canada. Um, I'm a world traveler, but I, I need to do that. I want to hike the Camino. I want to walk across England. Can't do that if you're holding elective office. So I have no regrets. Um, I do miss it. I miss, I miss public service. I miss the people that I worked with. And again, it's all four, our community members, our county staff, our board of supervisors, county leadership. There's something incredible as the chair, the relationship, the professional relationship I had for two years with our county executive. It was a time-limited relationship. That relationship is gone. Yeah. I hope to have a personal friendship relationship. But, you know, I'm not in county government anymore, so I'm not involved in that. Um, no regrets at all about leaving. Um, you know, I always look back, and it, I don't have regrets about what we did, what we accomplished. I will always regret we weren't able to do more. You know, there's never enough time, enough money to do all the things you'd like to do. Um, but I'm extremely proud of what we did on the four years I was on the board. And again, that's all 14 players, the community, the staff, the leadership, and the board of supervisors. I love it. You're, you're a joy to interview. I mean, 70 minutes flies by when you're sitting across from Donna Price, an interviewer's dream. Um, why don't we have uh, closing thoughts? I know you have uh, something on your mind. Anything you want to get out? Um, anything you want the viewers and listeners to hear? The show is completely yours. I love this place. Um, I wasn't born here. You know, I'm not a cradle-to-grave Albemarleian. Um, I moved here because of the people in the community, and they have not disappointed me. If anything, I'm more impressed with the people here than when I was contemplating where to move when uh, I left Virginia Beach. Um, I just say keep it up, support your local government, but also don't be afraid to run for office, you know? Um, don't, don't just chit-chat with each other on social media. Every member of the public has an opportunity 
to go and sit, uh, talk in front of the Board of Supervisors and raise your concerns. And they, when I was on we, we listen. And I remember when I was running for office, attending every meeting and, and seeing how when enough people from the public come and raise the concern, it may not be the first speaker or the second speaker, but enough people come and talk and the board will listen because we are focused on what the community wants. That's why we have our comprehensive plan. That plan comes from the community. It doesn't come from county staff and it doesn't come from the board. It comes from the community. We listen to what the community has to say. We prepare that comprehensive plan. Then we try to execute it. So stay engaged with your local elected officials. Um, you know, it's our duty. It's not just our rights, it's our responsibilities that are important. And don't forget to vote. We've got a primary coming up in about 10 or 12 days. Amen. Amen. Donna Price, ladies and gentlemen, she is awesome. Um, thank you. Thanks, Did you have fun? I always do. Uh, life is fun. You, life is fun. She is fun. Donna Price, uh, interviewer's dream, guys. The, for those that are asking, the entire interview is um, archived anywhere you get your social media. We're live on all platforms. Of course, on ilovesevil.com. It's interviews like this that really make um, what I do professionally um, gratifying and rewarding. I uh, sincerely mean that. Give props to Judah Wickhauer. We have the easy job. We get to be ourselves. He keeps the technology on air and us sounding and, and, and looking our parts. Tomorrow's um, talk show, is Real Talk with Keith Smith, he has um, Dr. Lisa Sturdivant is joining us. She's the chief economist for Bright. She's going to join us, uh, and she's on the short list for potentially uh, replacing Dr. Lawrence Hewn as the chief economist of the National Association of Realtors should he choose to retire. So Real Talk with Keith Smith with yours truly, 10, 15 a.m. tomorrow. At 12.30, the I Love Seville show. And at 2.15 p.m. tomorrow, our brand new talk show, The Juicy Details with Hillary Lewis Murray. And she's got a fantastic guest lined up as well. That's the Tuesday edition of the talk show. Thank you kindly for joining us. Take care, everybody. Donna, that was awesome. He's going to let us know when the mic's